0: Welcome to the very 103rd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast all about board games, the people who love them, and board games. My name is Matt Lees, and I'm joined today by Tom Brewster and Quentin Smith. Hello. Hello. No, I like that. You're almost harmonising badly. stereo. We'll do some harmonising right now. Hello. 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 I mean, I did discover the other day, I felt... Wow, you didn't hear anything in the <laughs> podcast there because that was both those guys trying and failing to high-five <laughs> twice. That was kind of weak was as pathetic. well. Yeah, I... D- oh, shut up, Tom! Up. <laughs> no, no, it's pathetic for me, I'm oh, sorry. Right. Oh, God, no, I mean... It God, was no, it takes there. two to tango. But listen, I discovered the other day, quite embarrassingly for Tom, <laughs> uh, that, that we, we did a bit where we were both singing a song and then Tom, like, <laughs> Tom ended the song by singing like really out of tune in the way that I was like, mm, that was like funny, but it was a bit much. And I was like, all right, maybe do that again, but like... Sing in tune, and he was like, I can't sing.
1: Oh, <laughs> and I was like, That's yeah, so that's I, I mean, feel like it's a key skill as well. Yeah, you know, I, we didn't know he couldn't sing. Yeah, I think you've got <laughs> to learn to sing.
0: It's one of those things in school where you know you do singing lessons, but like, when will I use this? Turns out when you're a board game reviewer, <laughs> but I felt awful. It's like pushing someone into a pool and being like, Just you know, just that swim, was fine, but maybe you should have And like, I can't swim, swim, yeah. jerk, swim, you, you monster. What podcast games are we going to podcast about? We're going to be talking about some board games today. We have a fantastic list. We're going to be talking about Clinic, a game of running a hospital, and it's easy, hard? It is. Crunchy? Crunchy. We're going to be talking about Welcome to New Las Vegas, the sequel to last year's smash hit, Roll Wright. Welcome to... We're going to be talking about Maracaibo, a game of being, uh, it's the double P, it's a problematic pirate. Oh, yes. Going around in a circle and thinking about- Whiteies of the Caribbean. White people of the Caribbean. That should be the, yeah. We're going to be talking about Irish Gage, a game of having a railway company in Ireland that your friend then buys into and you want to kill them with a hammer. Mm. We're going to be talking about Letter Jam, a game of spending 45 minutes spelling one word we're going to be talking about Letterpress, a game of spending about five minutes making a load of words. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about the expansion to Food Chain Magnate, the catch-up mechanism in which uh, I have played with one of the many modules and uh, almost had a meltdown. We are going to be talking about Clip Cut Parks, the first board game that I have played, which ships with some scissors, which are used in the game. And finally, we're going to be talking about Era Medieval Age, a game of rolling dice, sticking little plastic buildings in a plastic board, and people dying of plague. Mm. And we're also going to be talking about a couple of other games at the end which are to do with new video reviews we did recently on the website. So That's so many games! Let's get started, and let's get started with Clinic. Tom, take it away. Please, what are the results, Doctor?
1: the results are fun fun yes
0: (laughs) maybe hooray (laughs) this is the kind of like tom doesn't have amazing opinions how much fun do i have in my lungs (laughs) am i gonna be all right so uh clinic is by uh french designer alban viard as i understand it who made tramways Mm. uh one of the most interesting games matt and i played uh last year i want to say did you before we did you go back to that no i want to go back to Tramways. i know it's good it's just it's more interesting than it is
1: fun, I think. Yeah, maybe. And I have
0: a... F- that's my jam these days, because I'm a boring man. I know. Well, you can listen to Tom talk about Clinic. You, you
1: can. can, all day long. Uh, it's also got artwork by uh, Ian O'Toole. Oh, yes, you um, played the new deluxe the new version new deluxe, deluxe spicy edition, because it was originally a 2014 game, and now it's back. Spicy Clinic. Is spicy Clinic. I'm pretty sure that's where <laughs> Dr. Sexy works. <laughs> so how do you feel about Clinic? I feel good about Clinic, but not amazing. As most people do. About, of, about real life hospitals? About real life hospitals. Well, okay. Well then I'm l- glad they're there. I don't want to be in them. Let's make it easy for you. How do you play the game of clinic? In clinic, uh, your hospital people building a hospital. You're going to have patients. They're going to come into your hospital that you've built nicely, and they're going to be treated for their various illnesses. Um, what, what illnesses are we talking about here? Brain, <laughs> knee, heart. I and then there's an expansion that adds pregnancy. Yes, and old there is pregnancy, so old people, child, and old. I haven't touched any of the expansion stuff yet because it looks insane. But there's also some great stuff like in the deluxe box version one of the optional expansions is just fire extinguishers which just adds oh, tiny oh, wooden oh, oh. fire extinguishers Surely to your hospital. that adds fire? I don't know <laughs> I think it just adds health and safety points. <laughs> Fair. Which is good in the hospital. This um, yeah. sounds like Matt's
0: jam. It, it does like yeah. I really wanted to like Dice Hospital a lot more than I could. And you wanted to like Tramways by the designer of Clinics so yeah hello. yeah this, have to, this Venn diagram uh-huh. in the middle of it is just a picture of your face Matthew.
1: Yeah so what how do I build a hospital? So in the game you just get like three actions you take actions three actions per turn for six turns and you you can either build something you can hire something or you can admit <laughs> patients hire, you can hire something? something from beyond knowledge you can hire <laughs> them into your hospital <laughs> but building something i was reading the rule book and the the building rules for clinic are like insane because it's you build on this uh four by four grid i think it's four by four um where you can place these tiny little tiles and the way that you deal with patients, you have to put them in these service hubs, which have to be connected to a treatment room and a supply room, and they can't be adjacent, and you can't have two of the same one in the same building. And there's like a million rules.
0: Oh, this is ex- but, this is so by the designer of Tramways. It's like a
1: crazy little puzzle you've got to figure out. And there's like a really mean rule where you can build, if you put a tile in your bottom right corner, and then you put another tile in your bottom left corner, they're like separate buildings of your hospital. But once you've made them as separate buildings, you can never combine them. <gasps> that is how buildings work. Yes, it is. It's which I was not, like, oh it, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, yes,
0: but also no. <laughs> I mean, you can fuse two buildings. We have that technology. Oh yeah.
1: But there's loads of really nice flavor to the game. because So you're hiring these doctors, uh, and you're hiring patients, and it, not hiring, admitting patients. Hiring patients. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Is this some it's sort of Black Ops cover-up? <laughs> <laughs> but you've got yeah, all these people. Sit there and pretend to be <laughs> ill for a couple of days. and we'll make it worth your while. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the way that the uh, the game works is there's like lots of little nice things where you do this building your hospital and you hire your uh, doctors and you hire your patients and then you run your hospital, which means the first thing you do is you make sure that everyone can get to the right place, which means you just have to move these tiny figures around the tiles in the shortest route possible, because every move takes time. And the more time you spend, the less points you get at the end of the game. So I built a hospital that was great at curing everything, but God, it was hard to get around. <laughs> and it, it meant that everyone was like just- Like an actual hospital. Like a real hospital. Yeah. Uh, whereas the person I was playing it with uh, built all these conveyors, which let you zip from one place to the other. So just had this little lightning speed hospital where you were just instantly- being operated on as soon as you walk through the door and it's it's, a specialist hospital yeah absolutely um and there's also like there's rules for uh for parking and whenever you hire staff or uh take in patients they have to find a place to park their car it's like oh we really need a new doctor but we just haven't got enough space to park his big lamborghini this really sounds like my jam yeah so (laughs)
0: why
1: you said this is like good yeah why wouldn't I fall in love with this game, well, Tom? Well, maybe you will. Maybe it'll be your jam. And I figure that it might actually be better with a few more players because at two, it felt a bit like we we just ran out of doctors was the problem. <laughs> and it's, it's very like, you know, the UK right yeah. now. But towards the end of the game, you're drawing from this bag of doctors and your doctors get tired as the game goes on. So they go from being super skilled to just like ones that you've hired fresh out of university. Oh my goodness. And at the end of the game, what I was doing is I had this structure where I couldn't hire any more clever doctors and i just had to use my rubbish doctors but with like a team of 20 nurses surrounding them to (laughs) to cure one patient and it's kind of insane but it it felt like a one of those euro games where there's so much that i love about it but towards the end it just kind of ran out of steam a little bit because you want to build this super successful hospital that just rockets off and you get tons of money and you get your you're getting tons of patients in but i never really managed to get more than like six patients on a Mm. turn maybe that's just because i'm bad Maybe it's because it's it, hard to it's say with bad. these things.
0: Like yeah. the, the pacing of Euro games, sometimes feels to be designed for like entirely different people. Like the first mm. time I played Pipeline, I it was only when one of the guys who'd play tested a bunch came over and said like, "Oh, I got a score of like three hundred mm. last time I played," and I was like, "What?" Like I think the <laughs> highest score I did was like ninety three or something. I'm like that's impossible. I mean, there are so many considerations. There's how difficult should it be? How much variance should yeah. there be between good or bad players? How much do you need to hide scores? You know how. How difficult do you need to make it to understand how much of that should be the difficulty? Also, I just want to build a nice hospital.
1: And yeah. it sounds like that's what you wanted to do. I really wanted to build one. It's, it's really optimistic because the, the game gives you, you can build over like three or maybe four floors. And I never got up past the second floor because it just got so expensive to build anything. And I was like, I don't need it. I just need to do two patients a turn and I can manage that and nothing else.
0: This <laughs> is, I feel like Alban <laughs> Viard is now going to be the designer who we want to love. Currently, we can say maybe we want to love his work the most, but we can't quite get behind... Oh, I need to go back back to Tramways. That game keeps popping up into my mind as I stare out of a window and think... (sighs) Okay, this year at Shots, at the official (laughs) Shut Up and Sit Down convention, you can go to our board game library, take Tramways back, go back home with it. I can't steal... From our convention, you can. It's called. Um, oh, what's it called? You taught me about embezzlement. This. Embezzlement. Yeah, you no, you about can't do embezzlement. Podcast. You can't. You like, literally ah. can That's why there's a word for it.
1: Why would, <laughs> why would they invent a word for it if you couldn't? And do also, it? why did you have to teach Quinns about embezzlement? We I were, tried to do some. It's complicated. It was, it's
0: in the podcast, and he was like, "Is it a crime if you take money from your own company?" And I was like, "Yes, it's called embezzlement," which thing. I think is rude. Uh, <laughs> did you have any closing thoughts on? Uh, I almost said tramways there on uh, clinic, Tom.
1: I think it's good. I don't know if I'd buy it as it stands, but also I think I might be playing it wrong, so take everything I said with a big pinch of salt. Lovely uh, stuff. I might, I might be <laughs> forgiving that a go
0: sometime because I like hospitals and I cannot lie. So this, this go back to clinic. And if you hear about it again, it means it's better than good. And if you don't hear about it again, it means Tom was right and it's just good. Well, watch this space, everybody. So let's move on to a game we all played, which was Welcome to... New Las Vegas. So welcome to a game uh, we did a video review of last year, a, a pretty straightforward-ish roll and write where you had to number houses in streets, then you did things like build pools and throw up fences. Now we have the sequel. We have been sent an early copy of the sequel, so any rules we describe in this segment might not be real could all be essentially almost imaginary did you know that all games are made up (laughs) it's one of the secrets we try and hide from our audience thanks matt uh but welcome to new las vegas if you liked welcome to let me tell you you might not like this game anymore it is um not enormously complicated the manual isn't long but how's this for a weird thing in terms of teaching it um I had the awful sensation that A, it was incredibly hard, B, that I was saying every word in the manual. Like, it's an incredibly weird and fussy thing to teach, I found. Yeah, it's, it's an odd thing of the fact that what they've done is they've created a kind of city grid block of buildings that you're filling in. So rather than just making a couple of little streets... Um, you, you've you got this entire block and it's a slightly irregular block to fill in with stuff. But there's a lot of incidental art details. So rather than some of the really obvious stuff you have in Welcome to, of being like, oh, and that house has a pool. Yes. You have somehow, some buildings which are in, in construction and some buildings which have... So there's lots of little details around the board. Yeah, they can maybe have a golf course attached. They could maybe have a show. They could maybe be under construction. They could have a fountain out front or a VIP booth or money. So yeah. those are six things on a building before you've even gotten into the raw sort of foundation of the game, which is just putting a number on a building. Yeah, and it has things like, you know, to, to if you want to be able to build in a slot that has a const- in construction building, then you have to be able to first do a thing that allows you to cross out the crane, and then you can put a number on that building in a traditional... So it's it. I think it is... I don't think you know, it's much, much more complicated, but I think it's fiddly. I think, I I would say, as someone who's taught Welcome 2 a lot, I have no problem teaching Welcome 2, but this is one of the most intimidating games to teach uh, I've had in a while, and I think I've realised why, um, because Welcome 2 is essentially five or six discrete mini-games, because there's five or six different ways to score that you have to teach individually. Welcome 2 New Las Vegas is the same, but each of those mini-games is two or three times as complicated as it was in Welcome 2. So actually, of all games, it reminded me of teaching Space Cadets, a game from way back in our past which was a game of a bunch of players flying essentially the starship enterprise where you were on weapons and i was on sensors or whatever but you had to teach all of those games separately and welcome to new las vegas has a little bit of that where i just feel like everything i'm teaching does not bleed into the next thing yeah i think it's that has a strange interconnected nature which means you need to go like and then there's money, but we'll come back to that later. There's yes. lots of... It's not it's not neat. I, uh, I guess in Welcome it it's like the pools are just for the pool thing. The park stuff is just that. Yes. And then in this, it's like this connects with this, and then you can't use this until you've done this. Yes, exactly. So uh, rather than uh, talking in a woolly way, we should also say, I think we all had fun. Yeah. I also played it with um, Ava Fox 4. Of course, she writes the news and some written stuff on Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, Ava hated it. So before <laughs> really? we proceed, let's just remember Ava hates this game. However... We all had a lovely time. I had, I had a nice time with it. I do agree it would be a bear to teach, and I don't know how much it adds from, from being extra fiddly. Yes, that's it. That's the question for me. Um, also, I'd, I'm just going to say that I felt it had lost something that the original game had, which was the feeling of, as, as someone talks about a lot, the feeling of the feeling of making different kind of marks on a piece of paper but yes. also the feeling that you are make the kinds of marks you were making on the piece of paper in Welcome To, maybe you feel a little bit like I was an architect, like making notes on something, of being like, all right, well, we'll do that, and cross that out, and circle that, and make some lines. It felt like I was adapting a blueprint, whereas in this, you're doing some fun things, you're drawing lines that are the route for your limo to go around, and there's a decent- good <laughs> Yeah, which we haven't mentioned yet. You now have a limo <laughs> that drives around your yeah. tiny pretend you Vegas. to get it home, otherwise you lose loads of points, and all this stuff. And there's lots of, it's interesting, but that sensation of like, I'm building a little neighbourhood um that kind of felt not believable but the theming felt strong enough that it was exciting whereas this just feels more like a, a series of, of boondoggles it didn't feel like I was in Las Vegas it didn't yes. feel like I was designing a city even this was your observation that uh, wasn't in our video review of welcome to that yeah you do notches you do hatching you do little circling you fill in squares and all of those things are quite satisfying welcome to new Las Vegas uh misses a lot of the simple tactility. You're rarely just circling something in a circle shape, like circling these wonky show stars at the top of buildings doesn't have the clean simplicity of circling a pool. Drawing a limo that goes around your town is not as clean and simple and satisfying as drawing a fence that separates two numbers. Yeah, exactly. Just drawing a sharp little line and being done. But what I would love to know is
1: how the game went for you, Tom, because having never played Welcome 2... I really enjoyed it. And I don't like, maybe this has been ruined by comparison for you guys because I thought it was like really good fun. I want to play it again. It had enough like meat on it that maybe I'm like, yeah, let's give this another go. And I actually saw Welcome 2, original Welcome 2 on a shelf in a game store near me and very nearly bought it. And I went, oh, "It's not going to be the same." Interesting. As all this complicated,
0: wild stuff going on. I mean, in Welcome to New Las Vegas. Certainly, New Las Vegas is a lot more complicated. And I kind of feel guilty because it's what I would have said I wanted. I love Welcome to, and I'm like, "Yeah, but give me more, more richness, more depth, more complexity." <laughs> and they did it, and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Let's let's go backwards." But what I wanted to say actually is, when I taught the game, I said, and this will blow the minds of anyone who's played on a Welcome to, in this game, you don't get points for runs of numbers. If you go four, five, six, seven, eight from you know, drawing those numbers in your buildings. Uh, You you no longer get points for that. You instead have to do runs of either odd or even numbers, which is hellish because it means if you go one, three, five, seven, I actually had to think quite hard to remember what odd (laughs) numbers are. But if you do that, then you've sort of collapsed your ability to, because the numbers only run from one to 15. Yeah. So then you've put yourself in a corner. So when I taught the game, I said, you can try and do this, but it's nightmarish. And then Tom won our game from doing it in all four streets, which was a feat of like super cute. Hu- I'm still annoyed about it. <laughs> it was great. I felt so superior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm more excited, I think, about their next game, floor Plan, if that is their next game. But uh, I've, I've had it going back. It, that's a similar thing of like, you're building a house and you're rolling a couple of dice and then being like, okay, well, I can either build a patio or a kitchen with this and using the numbers on the dice to determine like how much of that or how big the room is going to be. And that, yeah, that was, again, it's like, you know, you're sketching out things, you're drawing little doors, you're like doing a little bit of shading to show that that's going to be a pond. Mm. And I think there's something that they've, I think one of the reasons that it works quite well is there's something about the brusqueness of, of being, you know, You know, you're not necessarily an architect because being an architect is incredibly precise. But like somebody making notes on an architect's thing and the fact that you can't draw feels nice. When you have games where it's like, hey, draw a little river on your board, sometimes that can be a bit intimidating because if you can't draw at all, (laughs) it's fine. But when you're doing something a bit rigid and just being like, well, it doesn't matter, they're going to understand how to make this river. (laughs)
1: Like it's sort of like
0: that go and make a river. Yeah. Uh, Being maybe like, you know, a a slightly drunk garden planner um, is my ideal board game setting of being like Mega bush over there what kind of bush this big <laughs> and then sketching that in with a nice pencil exactly I do have a special pencil that I use for roll and writes and it's my favourite pencil so that's a, what I'm talking about as a fact about me that's what I'm talking about uh, well let's move on then uh, because we uh, will probably maybe cover Welcome to New Las Vegas and some kind of Year 2 Roll and right Roundup, because last year was the Roll and Write year, and then this year we've got all the curious little games that are trying to go heavier or lighter or bigger or smaller. Roll and Write, sure. I, I suppose we'll do it again. I just got a press release in my inbox the other day for a game that combines Crokinole and a Roll and Write set in the southwest of America. Which what? It's, you, I don't know what's happening anymore. This, this is what I'm telling you. Roll and Writes are going absolutely nuts. So moving on. Uh, you two played a very big Euro game called... Maracaibo, by none other than Alexander Fister of Great Western Trail fame. Yes. And uh, I, I I, really wanted to like this game more so I could say, if you Kaibo so much, why don't you marry Kaibo it? If you like it so much, why don't you marry Kaibo it? That was, you were really um, excited to say I that. was excited to be
1: able to say that. It's the strongest content he's made in um, years. I know,
0: mm. but unfortunately now I can never say that.
1: Um, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we describe
0: it first before we get yeah, into the... Yeah, uh... um, I just want to, not to bury the lead. Um, it is a Euro game similar to Great Western Trail, whereby you go around in kind of like effectively loops and you get to the end of a path and then you reset the path and go around again. But instead of, as in Great Western Trail, walking along down some dirt paths and then getting to the end and giving somebody some cows and seeing how far a train goes with the cows, which is great, <laughs> in this you just go around in your boats going around the Caribbean and then whenever anyone gets to the end, basically everyone else has a turn to, to get as far as they can and then it resets. So it's a bit like a kind of groundhog day in boats. So rather than it being like you running your own loop of like, you know, because in Great Western Trail, you don't, you know, you get to the end of the trail and you can start it again. You don't have to wait for me to finish. Whereas in this, it's like, okay, no, if you don't finish it, then everyone goes back to the start. Like, and then you just do a certain number of laps effectively of the Caribbean and then you're done. And what do you do? Well, you know, you, you have some cards in your hand and they are either upgrades for your ship or buildings you can build or uh staff you can hire for your ship. Or you can use these cards as resources to kind of do things. So you could use some sugar and some tobacco. And by doing that, you can go to this village and activate this little, you know, as all the the classic uh, Western Trail style iconography of like, two of this gives this and this. And really, it just feels like a much more fiddly and complex version of Great Western Trail. And it has a lot of the same DNA, a lot less of the fun um, you know, it's not, it's fun having a handful of
1: cows, but um, yeah, Tom, I mean, you it hurt my eyes to look at. It hurt your eyes to look at. <laughs> when you, when you set it up, we just sort of laughed for about a minute because you were trying to explain all the rules because there's so much visual information on the board and I felt the entire way through playing it, I was just confused. I was sort of stumbling through a Euro game nightmare and did I, I did I win? I nearly won maybe i don't remember i mean (laughs) the reason i wanted to play
0: it was because i started looking at it and i thought this could be interesting and then i started looking at it more closely and i was like actually a lot of this stuff does really not sit well with me at all and i was pretty disappointed in it as a product being put out there this year and i then thought well i want to play this and i want to see because i want to be like maybe this game is like really good and it's like okay it's a shame but I kind of I kind of felt like I, I briefly would want to, to mention some of the stuff that was just like, come on. So what we have with Maracaibo is kind of a curious throwback. Um, there was a push in board games to stop a certain kind of um, board game theming that was prevalent, you know, a, a lot five or six years ago, which was um, this glorification and whitewashing of what European powers did around the world when they arrived at different countries, you know, India, the Caribbean, Africa, Asia, and then would uh, sort of use and abuse the people there in manners involving you know, slavery, or unfair trading, or, you know, sometimes even uh, war and genocide. Um, And if you look at any kind of instance of a European colony, what happened to the people there is often abhorrent. But then you get board games that try and present this as just a fun economic activity. You know, we've all arrived in Puerto Rico, who can make the most money? And there is no investigation into the people that actually live there. So then Maracaibo, interestingly, is kind of in a year where we thought we'd gotten away from this kind of board game theming, it's almost a return to it. Absolutely. It's it's just the fact that you could, there's all these different activities around the board, like, you know, buying and trading and selling things and exploring the jungles, looking for, you know, looking for treasures. In the Caribbean, is it? Yeah. I mean, exploring the forests, whatever, very small pictures, or having these different, uh, army tracks so you can help the French or the British or the spanish in wars there's there's a lot going on but then you, yeah you're just looking to do handful of cards and it's all real locations on the board and all the characters are just like super white with the sole exception of basically one card which is um a native card who's just like a, a smiling woman who looks really happy and chill and that's like three cards the same card in the decks it's one card uh of a black lady and then a couple of cards of people who are basically like historical figures who they clearly were like, no, we can't make that go white. He was, he was very Spanish, you know? <laughs> so
1: it, it just feels- So the,
0: some of the darkest people in the game are Spaniards yeah, in a, in a game it. sat in the Caribbean. Yeah. And everything else is just like super white guys. And you're like, okay. And it just to me, it feels weird just because it's like, look, if you don't want to make a game about ships going around and trading goods and buying and selling stuff and, and building Things and hiring crews, and you don't want to have to get into the nitty gritty of like systematic violence against indigenous people. And yeah, and this idea of basically turning up and being like, oh, no one lives here apart from them, but they're not really people. We'll just take what we want. If you don't want to deal with that in your board game, you know what? That's cool. Like, I don't think that all games need that level of heavy stuff. But then why would you choose to set it in the Caribbean at this time? Exactly. And that's it. And it's just a case of looking at this game and being like, really? Are you going to do that? Why not just make it a fictionalized place? like, you know, you, you don't have to use real world stuff. And then effectively, to me, it just seems like there's enough information out there now and enough conversations have been had about their settings to be like, to just reuse them in the way that people were using them 30 years ago, just feels, um, it just feels almost aggressive in a way. It feels almost like people are going, no, we're actually going to keep, pushing this Yeah, this I would idea I would agree with that. Doesn't Mar- exist. Maracaibo. I mean, this might not be the case, but Maracaibo does feel like a game that could have been made by people going, oh, you know what? People have had enough of political correctness. Let's go back to the way that board games used to be." Yeah, and I don't know if that's the case, but it just feels willfully ignorant in a way that is just it's a little bit shocking yeah. um, and just disappointing. I mean, at its simplest, what? This is a game set in the Caribbean, and if you didn't know anything about the Caribbean, you would assume that only white people live there from playing this game. Yeah. It's especially weird because Fister's release last year, Blackout Hong Kong, was this fabulously revolutionary Eurogame setting. It, you're in Hong Kong after a blackout. It was, you know, it was a completely unproblematic piece, which I think is why Maracaibo feels so bizarre. It's odd, and I just I hope we don't keep seeing it because it's it's weird and jarring, and um, it's so easy to get around. So that was Maracaibo by Alexander Fister. Um, a bit disappointing. I tell you what, wasn't disappointing though. Ooh, ooh. It's Irish Gauge by Tom Russell. Now, this is a game we've all played. Did we all have fun? Yes, yes. sort of. Ooh. Ooh, I mean, it was just—it was just the reality of what those games are. You guys talk about it. You guys talk about it. Okay, take
1: a back seat on this one. Let's rock and roll, Tom.
0: I'm going to tell you about Irish Gauge, but really, I'm telling the people at home. Yes, that's fine. Thanks. <laughs> Irish Gauge is a game about making railroad companies in Ireland. Its manual is a single piece of paper, double-sided. And its board is very simple, it's just a map of Ireland, and the game takes about 45 minutes, all of which, so far, that's great, great, and great. Um, And this is a game in which, on your turn, you're going to do one of four things. Either you are going to start an auction to buy a share of a railroad company, one of the five railroad companies in the game, that's nice. Maybe you buy a share of the yellow company, that's cool. Then another thing you can do on your turn is lay yellow rail, so you're putting down little trains on the map, of that Yellow Railroad Company connecting up cities. And then when someone does action three, which is call for dividends, then uh, you pull a cube out of a bag, which in you know, a system we're not going to describe means that some cities pay out. And then maybe you're, you, because you own the Yellow Railroad Company and you've connected a bunch of towns, you've got some money now. Oh, and that's I love money. Lovely. And finally, the fourth thing you can do on your turn is turn a town into a city by putting a cube on it. And from these simple ingredients, the game is hell
1: it's so awful oh my and my well awful in a good way it's but the, it's me it's the
0: cruelest thing <laughs> how would you describe so i've been like you know comedically mechanical what would you describe as the
1: actual experience of playing irish gage the actual experience is summed up in like a simple moment which is one of the people i was playing it with spent like four turns making the best railway she could it was amazing it stretched so far and then every other player was Bought it, so she earned <laughs> nothing from it. It's horrible. Yeah,
0: it's I, so mean. I had a very similar thing uh when I was playing with um someone, and uh, when some, she had a railroad company that was pretty good, someone else started an auction and bought another share. So now there's a co-owner. She owns that company with somebody else, and she took it really well. And I was like, "Cool, that's a consummate good sport." And then when it came <laughs> to like someone call for dividends and it paid out, I was like, "Okay, cool." So the purple company makes 20 bucks. So of course, divided by two, and she went, what? <laughs> because she just didn't realize that of course, when you get dividends, if you own shares and someone else does as well, you split, you split the profit, it's, oh no. That's why I said the game was quite good because I mean like, it's clearly good. It's clearly very good, don't get me wrong, but it was just for me, it was the experience of just spending ages breaking my back to do infrastructure and then watching everyone else profit from it loads more than me. And I was like, oh this is this is
1: accurate but yes. also, as
0: you say, hell.
1: It goes against everything you've learned because you put in X amount of effort and you do not get X amount no, of reward no. from it. I, I want to stand there and be like, you didn't make that railway. <laughs> I made that railway. I took that railway all across the country and then you just make
0: it on the rabbit. It's in there. Then, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that is one way to describe Irish Gage. Uh, If you were to be uh, a little more sedate, I would describe it as it's a game so well balanced that you can do one of the four actions on your turn, and like every turn, I was thinking about doing all four of them. Yeah. You know, it's which is so pointed and sharp. I mean, that's basically what I just said. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It is. Fair play. Fair play. No, it's good. It's really good. I think, you know, there's a fabulous, no pun included, video review of it. I don't I don't know what I have to say, but how's this for weird? Even though I don't know quite what to say about it, I'm already eagerly anticipating the second game in this series, which is Capstone Games are doing a whole Iron Rail series, and the next one is called, I wrote it down, it's called Ride the Rails. Ooh. Imagine that. And the box is this hot red orange. <laughs> so you've got the green Irish gauge box, the red ride the rails box i just imagine it being like uh engage ride the rails and being like <laughs> let someone like throw in some horns yeah, yeah. It's like it's not about trains at all it's about like stocks <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no no sorry <laughs> it's i got metal saying. musicians riding trains i mean there is oh could you re-theme irish gage as something else
1: yes yes what the same thing but in hell be way more metal. <laughs> oh, I mean, you joke, but you know- Hell trains. <laughs> do you two not know about that? Oh, wow. I mean, why
0: would you? But of all the hundreds of uh, sort of stocks and shares, uh, laying rail train games that exist, of which Irish Gages, Capstone, bringing that to the mass market, well, the niche mass market for the first time, there is one which is about delivering souls to hell. Oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah, I don't know its name or anything, but let me tell you, it definitely exists. <laughs> it's out there,
1: and you can have a very questionable Google search history- if you want to find it. <laughs> If you want to try How and find do it. do
0: I get trained to hell? I mean, that will probably bring up yeah. uh, some uh, FAQs for Zork Grand Inquisitor. On the topic, actually, thinking about uh, old transport tycoon stuff, it reminds me of that, like, where you could press a button and make it so that instead of taking mail and coal, you were taking, like, candy canes and marshmallows. But it's like that, but with hell. I think more games need the option. You have lost me. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Some old video games that most people know about, especially Transport Tycoon. Anyway, I'm rambling about very old PC games.
1: Let's move on.
0: Oh, fair enough. Well, that's Irish Gauge. We all think it is good. And certainly it is excellently simple and comes in a lovely slim little box. And
1: it's uh, similar to Clinic. It's artwork by Ian O'Toole. It looks...
0: Lovely. What a boy. I mean, I, I don't know how he at all did it, but the board for Irish Gage is mostly empty hexagons mm-hmm. and it's gorgeous. Still looks lovely. How does he do it? OK, well, the next game we want to be talking about. Uh, Matt, I understand that you have been playing a bunch of Letter Jam by Andra Scoopy. Andra Scoopy. Uh, I don't know if Definitely that's... Definitely pronouncing that name wrong. Yeah, but it sounded great and I love it. Um, Letter Jam is a fascinating conundrum for me. I've been playing a whole bunch of Letter Jam, and boy, has it put me in a jam. I really like it, right? I really like it. It's a very simple game we talked about in the podcast a while ago, where everyone basically has a letter in front of them, one at a time, and you all have to collaboratively say, well, I think I can do a word with six letters. And using the letters that you can see, and then basically putting these tokens, these like big chips with numbers on to spell out the word for everyone else. But obviously, the thing is, you can never see the letter that's in front of you that you put up. So you're having to try and basically write down the words and leaving in the gaps whenever your letter is used, and then deduce what your letter in front of you must be. I think it speaks a lot of what kind of a game Letter Jam is, that that explanation was absolutely great. And if I'd heard it for the first time, I would have <laughs> no idea how to play the game. Well, this is the thing. Really, it's, it's wonderful and for so many reasons, because it has a whole bunch of really magic rules that you teach. You. It has like three rules in it that are all great. And the fact that like, yes, you all have to try and work it out and you think it sounds easy, but then it's like, oh, well, that must be S. And then you like, actually know it could be S or N or H. And so you go, OK, I'm, I'm not going to move on to my next letter that I have to determine. yet. I'll do another round. And then someone does it again. They use your letter again in a word. And you go, OK, it's something blank, something, something. And you go, Oh, that's either... An S, an N, or a H. Then you're like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. And realising that you are just getting stuck and having other people having to work together, of, of, of realising that someone's got stuck on their letter and trying to come up with a clue specifically for that person that they will be like, they they will definitely know what their letter is if I use this word that uses that letter. And the, the thing about it is, is you have a wonderful thing where the idea at the start of the game is you all take these cards and you shuffle them all up and then you choose a word out of like some of the cards that you've been given and then pass them to the left, which means the person who is trying to work out what these four or five or six different letter cards are has a jumbled up word there that the person to their right has given them. And then what you do is at the end of the game, you write down, you've got all of the letters that you think you know what most of the letters you've got are, hopefully. You unjumble them up to basically try and spell the word that you think it is. And it has a wonderful bit where you you then announce the word you're going to spell and you go storm and you flip them over one at a time. S-P-U. <laughs> and it just becomes this, you spell a word that's not a word and go storm. splump, <laughs> And you go, oh no, I've completely ruined it. But the, the thing that's driving me mad about Letter Jam is basically what you touched upon, Quincy, in the fact that. It looks like a word game. Yes. It's not really a word game. Yes, It's a deduction game. It's a team-based deduction game. So you've got all these horrible things and the fact that it looks like a word game. Lots of people don't like word games and don't want to play word games. So that doesn't help. Then you get it out and it looks really simple and breezy. It looks like a fun little party game. Mm. And it's not. It's like a really killer, brilliant, cooperative deduction puzzle game. And it's just so... It's so like CGE really of just being this really odd thing that I like, but every time I get it out, it's I've got no idea how it's going to go down. I've, it's a complete interesting. So what yeah. I'm hearing when we covered this uh, on a podcast, you know, back uh, our UK, Two years and, ago maybe or a I, year ago, I at least. think it was it was last year. But we said, ah, oh, it's fun, but we don't know how to feel about it. You've now played it a bunch, and definitively, the shut up and sit down opinion is. It's weird and we don't know well, how to feel no, about it. I love it. I really love it. It's just the fact that I've got it out in circumstances where I'm like, people are going to really like this and it's just not really gone down very well. And I've got mm. it out in other times where I'm like, yeah, I don't really know if this is going to go. And people have like adored it. And I just don't know. I think it looks like a light party game and actually it's more of a kind of like uh, a, a post-dinner, really thinky thing. It's just... That's not bad. Who, who might you describe it as for? Who should buy it? I think... For me, it feels like a good game for families with kids that are a little bit older, because it's quite smart and it's quite thinky, but it's also almost entirely devoid of theme in a way that makes it quite clean and doesn't have that effect of, of maybe it seeming too kiddy or too old or whatever. It's, it's kind of weirdly ageless. Um, I, I really like it, and I, I, but it's, just such a, it's such an annoying puzzle. I can't quite work out who I would recommend it to. Other than me, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we might have to leave that. That's as it. Yeah, I just I wanted to bring mystery. that up because it's been it's been annoying me because it's like I really like it, but I can't quite work out what to do with it in my head. Uh, a game that's a much easier recommendation is Letterpress, which is uh, by Robin David, and it's a basically a reprint with a new name of Movable Type, which is a game which people eagle-eyed may have spotted in my game collection. We did a video recently on the, the channel to follow on from the video of Quinn's massive collection of games with my smaller collection of games and people said, oh, that's movable type. I didn't mention it in the video because it's out of print. So I was like, well, there's no point saying I really like that game because it's not available. Um, but yeah, now it is available. It looks different. It's, uh, it's a very fast game. It's now called Letterpress. Yes, Letterpress. Which is one word. Yes. And it comes in a slightly bigger box, as is always the way. And basically the way it works is you're making up words every, every round trying to like make the longest word the best word you can. But it's super fast. It's just like everyone makes a word. And then the way it works is that the person who made the biggest word, you put all the cards in the center, and I maybe get the rules slightly wrong with this. I played it a little while ago, but you you put it all in the middle and then the person who made the biggest word, they get first pick to take a card from the center to add to their collection of things. And then you play a handful of rounds and then the final round is the winner of the game is just the person who can make the longest word in the last round. And it means basically every time you do well in a round, you're getting to handpick first the letters that you want, which means if you're doing really well, then it means you're building, you're already before you get given any cards in the last round or before you get to last round, you're already like getting the word, the letters you think you need. So you're like, oh, an S and a T, I'm gonna definitely get an S and a T. You can do a lot of things with an S and a T. So it's nice in the fact that it's like, first three rounds of the game don't matter. And it's like the final round, who's
1: gonna have the best word? It's like countdown legacy. <laughs> got that legacy I want. Oh. But only in... Okay, only in like half an hour. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing is it, it,
0: it's really quick. It's like 20 minutes. It's super fast because I like word games a lot, but I feel like they're not for everyone. At least that's one where you can pull the ripcord and you can be like, all right, that didn't go well. Let's stop. Let's never play a word game with you ever again. Anyway, that's Letterpress. Check it out. I mean, I, I don't like word games, but I do like hearing you sort of rank them because it's like someone ranking... I don't know. It's like me being... Because I hate word games. It's like being a vegetarian and listening to your friends rank sausages. It's like this is kind of interesting in a sort of abstract way <laughs> because I understand none of the appeal. Bit too much gristle in letterpress, but still good. It's a Matt Lee's recommendation. Speaking of gristle... I have gone plunging into the expansion for Food Chain Magnate. So this was a huge review from Matt and Me. Uh, Food Chain Magnate's by Jerome Doman and uh, Joris Visinga. Those are two names from the Netherlands that I have definitely botched. However, Food Chain Magnate, it's great. It's a game of uh, running... Uh, it's not even as simple as saying it's a game of running fast food franchises because this is from uh, Dutch publisher Splotter, which means it's incredibly weird. Do you want me to explain the base game and then you could do the expansion? That's a great idea. So basically the way it works is you have this sort of very crap outline of a blank city and it's really basic and everything has a very lo-fi 1950s aesthetic. And the idea is you can build these places where you can then sell people foods. But then... You know, hey, Tom, would you like to buy a burger? I'd love a burger, please. That's the wrong answer. Oh, you don't know what a burger okay. is. You're not, you're not interested <laughs> in burgers. But then if I was to put up a big billboard outside your house oh, saying burger. all burgers, and suddenly you're like, hey, I want a burger. Which means you might come to my shop to buy a burger. But what's this? Bad Quinn's down the road. He just built... burger place as well. And I'm like, "Mm, that seems bad. And it means that now they might go and get a burger at his burger place. But don't worry about it, because I have also started advertising lemonade. And there's a lemonade shop next to my burger place, which means now people want a burger and a lemonade. So Quinn's was making loads of money last round. This round, Nothing. The no. amount of rounds in Food Chain Magnate where, you know, you've got the marketing, you've got all your chefs, you call them up, they come into work, you made 18 pizzas, sixteen bottles of wear, twelve burgers, and you sell nothing. Yeah. It's because- it's very much like you either make all of the money or none. That's a that's a not bad uh sort of quick run through a Food Chain Magnate because uh, I want to dive into the expansion now. People are so excited for the catch-up mechanism, which is a play on words of a catch-up mechanism because Splotter Games so famously mean that when people were like, oh, you should put a catch-up mechanism in it, they thought, huh, that's funny because it could be like the word catch-up. Without wanting to uh, uh, tease too much, the ketchup mechanism as a box full of expansion modules has no ketchup <laughs> mechanism. They, uh, It kind of does. Ketchup does exist as an optional module. The first time you market food and someone else fulfills that food that you marketed and sells the burger that you, you get marketed, something. you get ketchup. Um, which means that your food, it, it thematically it means your food counts as like permanently more desirable. Yeah. However, the manual, and check this out, this is so splotter and this is so mean. It does actually say with ketchup. Of course, this isn't really a ketchup mechanism because savvy players can deliberately market and then not fulfill the food <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> to get access to ketchup to better beat up new players. Anyway, what's really cool about the Ketchup Mechanism as a box is not that it's crazy generous, or not just that it's crazy generous and full of wooden kimchi and noodles and cups of coffee and all of this stuff. What's cool about it is what Splatter did for all of the different regional versions of Fuji Magnite. For, like, the Japanese version, they added sushi. For the Korean version, they added kimchi. For the Chinese version, they added noodles. And all of this stuff. And then a lot of what's in Ketchup Mechanism are all of these international modules that you can play with or not. Um, And so I've only just scratched the surface because you would never play with all of them, Um, especially (laughs) because one of them just replaces all of the milestones in the base game, which if you've played Food Chain Magnate is huge. Also huge, there is a huge new apartment block that you can have in the center of town and apartment blocks can hold unlimited desire. So what that means is (laughs) if you market them a burger... And then you, no one fulfills it. Next turn, they want two burgers. And then, if people bombard it with marketing, then it means that they might want something like eighteen lemonades, four pizzas, two burgers. And if someone can actually make that and fulfill it, they will make all of the money in the game in one go. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm playing fast and loose. This isn't quite how all the mechanics and systems work. Yeah, but what I did gives play, you an idea. Though. What I did play with that I can talk about in detail is what is recommended as the first uh, new mechanism, which is coffee. And this is so fun. It's got the most cutting description of why it's in the game. The uh, the Dutch (laughs) publishers talk about how it was inspired by their trips to America, where they couldn't understand where when Americans drove anywhere, they would always stop at coffee shops on the way to buy a cup of coffee with their name misspelled on the side. (laughs) So the way this manifests in Food Chain Magnet is now in addition to your fast food stands, you can build coffee shops. And uh, also you can sell coffee at your restaurants. So you can now hire baristas and make coffee. What coffee does, and this is, we didn't realize how big of an impact it has on the game till I won using it, but whenever anyone leaves their house to go and buy food, so, oh, I'm going to go buy a pizza from Tom's Pizzeria. Do, 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 they will buy not just a coffee on the way. They will buy a coffee at every single coffee <laughs> shop and coffee stand they pass. In fact, if there are two different routes they can use to get to your restaurant and one has more coffee, they will do that. And so they will show up buzzing off like eight cups of coffee to have their dinner. Um, but what makes this horrific is my friend turned to me when he was like fulfilling food and I built essentially... I realized he had his marketing machine. I knew the the street that people would go down. I built my coffee shops. So every time he fulfilled an order to make food, I made more money selling coffee. And he looked at me and said, well, okay, maybe I don't understand the game. How do I stop that? And I, <laughs> and I said, well, it's easy. And I looked at the game and realized, oh no, you can't. You had to have preempted this. You have to have seen, Yeah. as soon as I buy a barista, you need to start thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's he going to build a coffee shop? Because every map talk can only have one. So if you get there first, that's fine. But yeah, very much a splatter game in the Very much splatter. The first mechanic that is introduced by the expansion is something that makes the game even meter, even harder, even more complicated, even more thematic. It's so good. Well, the first time we played Food Chain Magnate, it's like in the last round, it's like, okay, I've got about $4 and you go like 98. It's like, sure. <laughs> it is just like you just explode off into the distance. It's like, how do I stop you? It's like, oh, you can't. Like you just have to know how to play the game. What happens if I hire staff whose wages I can't pay? They all leave. Yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. it's it's that kind of game. Or just the fact that like the upgrade tree in the base of uh, like new staff you can hire and new upgrades you can get. It's like, oh, but you just bought the upgrade that I wanted from the can I not get the same one? No. It's like <laughs> they're all just I, th- I think they're all unique, aren't they? Um all of the upgrades no you ca- oh you, you're you thinking of the milestones the I believe. staff oh the milestones yeah yeah I, I in my mind I remember them as being like oh, so, yes yeah. so I remember them all staff and stuff but being like ah cool I'm gonna get a better waitress and it- someone's like that was essential to my plan. And it's like, yes. well, well your think, plan's in the bin. You're thinking of the mechanic of, oh, I want to be the first person who made pizza. No. That's it. <laughs> That's Someone it. else made I've pizza. I've misremembered it. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, this is it. Uh, getting into the expansion has involved relearning Food Chain Magnate, which if you haven't played it in a year, like That's I haven't, it's pretty hard. But no, tons of fun stuff. Like um, now, like even just some of it is so simple. You barely have to teach any rules. Game changing, like noodles. The way that uh, noodles work is you can make noodles. And what all noodles do is if a house now, like Tom in the earlier example, wants a burger and a lemonade, can't get it. They now have a subclause, which is if you can't get what you want, You'll go and get noodles if you can. So there is a mechanic now where you can just have like 18 noodle chefs and a radio station broadcasting impossible <laughs> desires across town.
1: Uh, you will want pizza, but you will not have it.
0: Yeah, it's it's like yeah, marketing goods that you know people can't have, so they will buy your second class oh, it's ingredients. It's such a great game. It's very dystopian. It's so dystopian. It's so dystopian. Uh, we have such love for that publisher. Um, so another game i'll touch on very briefly i played a little game called clip cut parks which mm. is not great not worth the money and we didn't, we didn't have a ton of fun playing but if a designer maybe the same designers want to have another bite of the apple i think the mechanic that it uses is so good so what you give players in clip cut parks is a pair of scissors which is including the game and a grid that shows um red green yellow and blue sort of um squares in an alternating sort of grid and, you know, which represent things like dog parks and green areas and all these other things you might find <laughs> in a park. I, t- I thought you meant like the colour green. And I was like... Oh, yeah. But then I... F- it's just not... No, it's not funny. No, it's hard. Carry it's, on. It's difficult to describe. Uh, <clears throat> then what players have is a little um, card in front of them that tells you the shape of park you want. So maybe you want a an L shape, like an L-shaped Tetris block, which goes red, blue, yellow, green, whatever. Then you roll a dice, and the dice tells you how many cuts you can make on your sheet. So, maybe you roll like at the dice and it says two, two, three. So, you can make two cuts that are exactly two squares long and a cut that is exactly three squares long. So, when you play, because it's difficult to get the exact squares you need, because you'd need to get like a, a whole bunch of ones in order to just cut a square out, you make loads of cuts you don't need on your sheet of paper. And so, this results in this hilarious mechanic where if you've got a piece of paper that's covered in cuts, that you made for future turns that you can't see, because it's not like they're three-dimensional or anything. Players just shake their piece of paper, so you end up having this (laughs) single piece of paper covered in cuts that you've made that are like half remembered plants, and you're just whiffling it in front of your face to see where it bends and be like, oh, yeah, I can make a cut there. Very cute little thing. Yeah, lovely idea. Yeah, no, really lovely idea, um, but one that didn't hang together in a way that was truly tactically satisfying it sort of ended and we were all like oh mm, that was annoying which is an unusual response uh, yeah yeah do you think it just could be solved by having gigantic pieces of paper i mean any game can be improved by making it about four thousand times the size what about really tiny scissors uh making scissors like no 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 The no. first scissors. idea was better i like the idea of playing this at a convention where the sheets that you're cutting are like 20 yards by 20 yards and players wow. are running around with shears oh you need to have two players to like whiffle it Oh yeah, to like uh, fluff big, it up like a, a big whiff, like a parachute to like uh, yeah. There's no word for that. I'm doing this gesture that you can see is in the, the is whiffle. whiffle. It's whiffle. Whiffle's fine. It's not, it's not a word. I, I'm pretty sure we it just will do. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to our last game of the podcast, which is Era Medieval Age by Matt Leacock. Another yeah. game. Another game that Tom hasn't played. I know. Cheers, I'm, Tom.
1: I, I, I'm trying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, Tom has played loads of games. I promise you. What's a game you've played, Tom?
1: Uh, Scrabble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> screwball scrabble. It's no good. you've been playing a bunch of stuff which uh we've been uh we're we'll going to come back to later yes. so you've like- got lots of interesting let's yeah. Yeah. A- a- not
1: too it early we've
0: got a lot of yeah. early stuff so we've got some
1: good stuff in the chamber we I have think, we have to deliver a final bullet to the yeah. heads of the <laughs> people of the people listening
0: to the podcast yeah so absolutely. we'll be back with more bullets from tom in the future <laughs> in, the, so- in the meantime in Matt- the meantime era medieval age which i played recently yeah it's okay it's i i Everyone, everyone I've played it with, including you, say it's okay. I, me, I believe it's good. No, it is good. It is good. Don't get me wrong. So let's let's come let's come back around to that. I think it's both okay and really pretty good. I, yeah, um, just which, to make it nice and clear for the layman yeah, such as I. Well, we can come back to why if I haven't made that clear at the end, sure. then we'll come back to that. So the idea really is, it's a Matt Leacock game, so obviously it's got some people getting pretty ill, um, and it's a game where you are building a city. And you're building a city by rolling some dice and the dice you have are representative of the people living in your city. So when you build like a new uh, yellow little house where a normal peasant lives, you get to take another yellow dice and you've got another peasant. And these dice on the different sides have all of the sorts of things that that sort of person will do. And it means the distribution with this sort of thing is shifted around. So peasants will be very good at getting lots of food or wood, not very good at mining rocks, you know, because they're weak and and useless. It's very traditional, like, medieval nonsense. However, like, if you get some military people, if you build a big fort, a big grey fort, you get a grey dice, and it's like those dice will be uh, quite aggressive, quite good at, like, attacking other players or defending yourself from other players, which i will come back to in a minute. But also you'll have a higher risk of bad things happening, of rolling skulls. Um, and then there's a, I think religious people are good at giving you a second chance, which I yeah. just is quite funny. Oh wow, well, I didn't make I that didn't, I didn't think about that myself either. Uh, allowing you to re-roll dice, basically. Especially even Because it has the whole system of every time you roll a skull, that dice is locked. Yes, it's kind of like um, King of Tokyo, if you've played that, but as an economic game, and a game where you can increase the number of dice you're rolling, which is definitely a way to improve any game where you roll dice. Yes, and the, the key thing is, though, is it's got a degree of resource management. And the fact that you roll these dice, and then you go, okay, well, what have I got here? I've got a bit of wood coming in, a bit of food. And then you think, oh, you know what? I'm going to re-roll some of these dice because I want some more stuff. And you do it and you go, yeah, I got all the cool things I want. I got some stone. I got a treasure. Great. Or, (laughs) well, then you look at it and then you're like, well, hang on a minute. Oh, I re-rolled all of those dice that showed food. And now because I've got like eight dice, because I've got eight population, I need to have eight food every turn or people start to starve. Mm. And I've either, in every game I've played of era, had a town that's completely been well-fed, never had any problems whatsoever with food, or I've had um, towns where people get real hungry. Okay, now, Tom, how excited are you at this game so far? Moderate. What if I told you that it was, in fact, super expensive, and all these buildings you're building in your little grid town are plastic miniatures that plug into a plastic pegboard as if you were building with Lego?
1: More?
0: Yeah. Exc- and this yeah. Is, <laughs> And this is the thing, right? This is where it gets interesting, because I wanted to hide that from Tom. Because I think it's important. Well, because he gets very excited by It's It's important
1: to hide things from specifically me. Yes.
0: Otherwise, you'll start banging your legs on the floor and being like, (laughs) I want it. I want it. I want (laughs) Matt Leacock's era. And we have to go calm down, Tom. You can have it later, but we have to do the podcast now. We have to play Brass Birmingham first. (laughs) We are actually probably going to play Brass Birmingham this evening just just for fun. Anyway, um, yes. So. You're building this cool, chunky 3D city and it goes into... Your player board is just a tan yellow pegboard and you literally can just make your city and then pick it up and look at it and it's great for taking photographs of. This was nuts. I realised halfway through my game, I was talking about... When you play Roll and Write or Euro games, often you look down at your board of buildings and you go, oh, look, this is funny. I've built... This one house over here in the middle of nowhere, a, a smelly person probably lives there. Ha, ha ha ha. But then what I realized with ERA is you can physically lift up your board and hand it to people. You can show it to people. Yeah. You, can, be you like, can look at this. You can turn it upside down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's neat. Is that worth the game's like seventy dollar price tag? Jury's yeah. out. Oh, Jury's out. We'll come back to it. So this, the thing is basically, it's like, this is really neat. Another thing that's really neat is the fact that you have, it actually makes good use of the little plastic peg things. My biggest complaint about um, Zombicide, an incredibly popular board game that lots of people have a lot of love for, and I think is just really very boring, um, is that the best thing in my mind about Side is the little board you have in front of you with the pegs where you get to move the pegs around. And you'd be like to track your experience and stuff. And you get to lift our peg out of a hole and put it in a different hole. And all humans like doing that. But in that game, you don't get to do it very much. In Era, you're doing it all the flipping time. You're constantly being like, I've got a bit more of this, a bit less of that, a bit more of that. Oh, I've got some plague, so I lose some points for plague. And this is, this is, I think, actually weirdly, it's boring as heck, but it's a masterstroke of Era, is the fact that, rather than having a fa- first player token you have the first player peg which is just a little peg <laughs> that you pass the next person and then on each person's player board it has little tiny symbols that represent the different stages of a turn and you literally like a master of ceremonies put it in the top and say right everyone roll your dice everyone rolls your dice and then after everyone done that you move it down to the second bit and go this check for this so I didn't play this game with you but that peg was a source of real upset in my game really? Group. only because like you know like a lot of board games once players get familiar with it you can you know, blitz through phases and be like, we, all, we don't need to actually talk. We can all just do phases one through no, four. No, it's the peg. Well, no, but it's not because, or it, when it was, sometimes it was, and a player would be like, oh, I've got the peg. I'm going to move it on. And then some player would be like, oh, I did that phase like three minutes ago. Well, that's not how ago. it works. Wait for the peg. I, okay. I can see that playing this game with you would be significantly no, I don't more know. fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun because it's just like- No, it, it is fun. Yeah. Sort of. Especially because there is a point where like, there is every round there is interaction. In the fact that what one of the things that happens is you all roll your dice behind this little cardboard screen. And partly that is because there's a system whereby if you roll loads of swords, then you get to attack other people. And unless somebody is basically as simple as doesn't matter how many people you got playing, the person who rolls the most swords in total attacks everyone else. And then it means if other people do not have more shields than the number of swords. Then you get robbed from. And basically, it means if I roll into swords and no one else does, I get to take a resource of my choice from every other player. So I just mm. nick stuff, which is fun. But it means that, A, if someone's building loads of forts, someone's building loads of military stuff, you're like, oh, they're just going to attack everyone. And then you go, well, look, am I going to bother building some of that myself just to try and defend myself, or do I ignore it? And because you're rolling the dice behind a screen, you find yourself being like, maybe they're not, maybe they're, maybe they're going to re roll the swords because they don't want to. But then also you have the wonderful thing of every time I do it, I'm a terrible lord because I just go mad for skulls and I just make loads of army people harass everyone. But then because of that, I keep rolling skulls. And here's what I think is another of my favourite things about it. The skulls aren't always bad. One skull, it's bad. It's like, yes, this mechanic is lovely. Yeah, one skull, that's bad. It's like disease. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, at some points. And then two skulls, it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's bad as well. It's a fire. It's like a fire. One of your buildings burns down. Three skulls, that's great. <laughs> um, it means there's a, like, a riot in everyone else's town. And basically, mm. like, you, ha- you give everyone a horrible, flat, burnt square you're right that
1: does sound great
0: it is but it means the great thing about this is it's better with more players Mm. because it's all simultaneous and it means when you do that it means you watch three people put these horrible like things on their board and when they've just got one of them they're like fine i'll put it in the corner of my board doesn't affect me but when you've done it about four or five times (laughs) people are really getting that you're just burning down everyone's land and then it's the same it's like four is like really bad for you like four is like can't remember what happens but it's like it's not good at all. And then five is just like terrible for everyone else. So it has this has this lovely thing of like, you, you, you kind of think, well, I've already got a bunch of skulls. Let's try and get some more. Or actually rolling loads of skulls, but then getting exactly the right amount and cackling knowing that you're about to set fire to everyone's thing. But I I love the idea of them being neighbouring towns, this idea of like, well, I've got a really big military. What does that mean? It means, well, there's lots of accidents in town and also every now and then the neighbouring places get pretty messed up (laughs) just (laughs) accidentally. So for me, so much of this discussion of how fun era is is kind of academic because I have never met anyone who is willing to pay The cost for this game. no, Because it is a bit of fun. Yes. And it is... That's it. Like, 70 bucks, which is insane. It's it's really frustrating, though, because it's like, I really like it as a game. It's just that after you've played it once, maybe (laughs) twice, you kind of think, that's cool. Uh, And then you hit the point where you go, oh, it'd be really cool if they expanded it. It's not quite enough there. But then you know that because of the way it's made, the only way they can expand it is by adding even more plastic, which is even more expense. And it just becomes this, like... I don't know. So I'm actually fascinated to see where the sequel goes, because, I mean, this has been my stereotype on Shut Up It's Down, my reputation, that I love expansions and I love seeing things grow, which is also weird because I think I'm also the number one person who complains when games have too many expansions and they're difficult to get off the shelf. Yeah. I don't make any sense. It's fine. I've come to terms with that. But... I know that this game is getting a big box expansion yeah, yeah, yeah. for two reasons. First off, Matt Leacock was at Shucks and said, I have the expansion in my bag. Do you want to see it? And I said, no, because I'm busy, which I continue to be angry at myself about. But also, <laughs> if you look at the box, the word era, the med- the full title is Era, the Medieval Age. The E is surrounded by a little nice banner. And you can see that on the player boards as well. So I think the second game will be R, Renaissance, and then I don't know what the A will stand for, but I think the three letters of era, E-R-A, are going to be arses yeah sure that was that was good thanks anyway (laughs) what i'm saying is hope there's two possibilities that i'm hoping for either the second game in the series renaissance is a standalone box that's maybe a little more complicated which might go some way to justify the price or this is what i'm also kind of hoping for that the games kind of link together? I mean, surely that's what they're gonna do. It feels like it's very similar to what they did with the Um, Century. Century, yeah, where it had Spice Road, then Eastern Wonders, then the third one that nobody played. Yeah, Yeah, Spice Girls. Uh, And then, yeah, so I I think this is the thing, I feel really conflicted about it because on the one hand I'm like, this is a fun little game and it's kind of more fun that it's a big chunky plastic thing but it maybe didn't need to be, and I'm not sure I would pay for that. Yeah, but also if-, if But then if they make more of it, uh, but, it becomes, but then- But if yeah, exactly. if the two games link together, then what? You're going to pay 150 exactly. quid for one average exactly. game? You I don't know. You kind of can't win. And that's why I feel like, in a way, it ticked a similar box for me. It's not the same in terms of the gameplay, but- It's gameplay. Don't lie that word. Anyway, it's not the same as it, but was it Tiny Towns? Oh um, yes, I felt like it ticked a similar box to Tiny Towns well, and that was like, just done with some little bits of wood Yes, Tiny Towns is probably mm, I don't think it's, for me, I prefer Era, but there's no arguing with like Tiny Towns is less than half the price Era yeah, does some really great stuff and I, I felt like, the thing I kept coming back to was I was like, oh, you know what if they just had little plastic board with like grids in it somehow No, I don't know I mean, frankly, it's so close to a roll and write with paper and pencil yeah. and then it would be like 20 quid rather than 70 Yeah well, look, let's wrap this up with some positivity, you two. Hey, they might do it as a roll and write. That'd be cool. I doubt it, because that would involve Plan B sort of admitting they made a mistake. <laughs> uh, but, you two, you've played Azul Summer Pavilion. Oh. Yeah, we've reached the the end of the, the podcast. This is a review that's going to be on the website, and uh, you can go and check it out. Um, and I, I believe it is on the website right now. Yes, it is. You can go to shutupandsitdown.com and watch our review of, well, my review of, Review. I should have used that. Review. Uh, never mind. My review of Azul, uh, Summer Pavilion. So uh, the first Azul, award-winning game about laying Portuguese tiles. Yep. Second game, not canon. Doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> it's fine. That uh, would be the stained glass of Sintra. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really interested in that one. I think mainly because uh, everyone said it was bad. Because everyone said it was bad, and also they made the the pieces transparent, and they kind of look like sweeties, and they look like Jolly Ranchers, and I was like, eh, I'm not, I'm just not. And I mean, aesthetics, I think, are such a key thing about about why Azul is really pleasurable. The aesthetics and the feeling of things and the click. So now we have the third game, Azul Summer Pavilion. Yeah, and can they do it a third time? Well, yes. It's actually really good. I was quite surprised. I opened it up being like, sure, another another Azul game. I'll have a look. And... Really, initially, it's very Azul in terms of the fact that, like, instead of having squares, you've got little diamonds um, and you're then building these circular windows. And at first you go, yeah, this is really, really similar. You've got the same system of of pulling a bunch of things out of a bag, putting them on these little cardboard discs and then taking it in turns to choose which colour of bits you want with the bits you don't want being shuffled into the middle. Um, But then you realise there's a bunch of differences stuff going on. First of all, you have the bonus colour each round. So it's like, no, don't just take the two blue ones, take the blue ones and an orange, because this round, orange is the bonus colour. Okay. What do bonus colours do? Well, you can use them to be wild. And rather than having the system in Azul, whereby you have, say, uh, these little rows, of you have a one, then a two space, then a three space, then a four space, and you have to commit to... Yes. one type of thing and fill them up as you go. Yeah, The biggest difference right off the bat in this is rather than taking something from the middle and then immediately choosing where it goes on your board, which is kind of the puzzling as all of being like, do I want to clog up that five slot with an orange? Can I get more of them? Et cetera. Sure. In this, you don't. You put them all to one side and you do all of the placement stuff after you've done all of the drafting, okay, so you end up having a big mass of bits in front of you to play with. Oh, so it's almost like you taking a bunch of Lego bricks and then deciding what to build with them. Exactly. So uh, you're doing this, and then you've also got the fact that there's some of them, one of them, is a bonus color, which means for that round and that round only, because it's six rounds and each one for each of the colors, they're wild, which means you can spend them as anything. Uh, you have these different windows. So you have a window that goes from, each window has for each of the different colours that goes from number from one to six. Now if you want to make the blue one window, you just use one blue tile and that fills up the blue one window. And the same as all, you get like a, uh, a bonus for being next to things. So if I make the blue one and then spend another two blue ones to build the blue two next to it, then I get a point and I get another couple of points because it's contiguous. But then if I want to make the blue six window, I have to use six blue things all at once. That sounds just, impossible. That sounds impossible. Now it could happen, but you've got the wild ones, which means I could use three blue ones and three of the wild ones. Bang, I've done my six window. But why would I bother filling a little six slot when I could just fix, fill a two slot, a one slot, and a three slot with those six pieces? I hear you cry. Because it's the same amount of points? No. It gives no, you no, flexible, no, 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 flexi- no, no. Flexibility. No. Okay. No. Okay. Wrong. Wrong. Whoa. All right. Bad, Quinn. Hit me with the truth. The truth is, this board in front of you um, is full of lots of li- lovely little details, and you realise that there is not a single bit of the board which is not used for information in a really lovely way. Oh, really? Yes. It looks just, like, pretty. It looks just purely decorative. But actually, you go, oh, these little windows here, when you surround those, then you immediately get to take a couple of pieces from this selective rondel of, like, shared things that keeps being updated and it's like and if you surround this statue you get to take two from the middle and if you can block off the windows at the edge of the board then you get to take three from the middle and you can then spend them immediately you know what that means i no combos whoa i don't want to put words in your uh bristly mouth matthew but what i'm hearing with all this chat is azul summer pavilion better than azul well i just think it's more complicated than azul i think you have to say whether it's better or not I think I prefer it. <gasps> and I really like Azul. There's a couple of things it doesn't do quite as well. Um, the, I think the art design on the little tiley bits in Azul is so wonderfully perfect oh, that yeah. it makes them look like they're actually not made of plastic, which is a wonderful magic trick. I, I think Are they not made of acrylic? I forget. Acrylic is plastic, isn't it? <gasps> I sit next to a guy who's a plastic specialist, I think. I think oh, wow, he, you've lucked out. Yeah, man, my life is pretty great. <laughs> anyway, um... But the, what's lovely about them is they're little triangles and a lot of the patterns on them are kind of circles or dots or squares in the middle. And it means that when you, you move them around, you can make little faces when you're waiting for other people, which is not really a feature of the game, but it's hugely satisfying. It's, it's
1: really, the best part It's of really the game. good.
0: You're just like, oh, I'm in a little frog. Oh, I'm in a little bird. A little face, and it's like when other people have got analysis paralysis, it's just great to be able to just like shuffle around these things and make faces. They're like
1: agonizing over a decision, and you're like, Yeah, and they're like, Oh, what do I do? You're like, I don't know, yeah. I made a little rabbit, this looks like a rabbit, this looks like great, <laughs> which
0: is actually great.
1: I'm not gonna lie. What did you think of this, Tom? I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really good fun. I've never played the original Azul, so I don't have much of a comparison point, but I think there's enough there to get me crunching and wanting to pick it up again mm. and like give it. Cause I I think you might have played it a few more times. I think I've only yeah. played it once. Um And it was a really, it's, I really like the combos. The combos really get it's me. So, it's so satisfying. Once, you, once someone, cause the other thing that you were saying is that there's those six um different colors and then the, I don't know which one is worth more points than the rest of them, but they're actually worth yeah. more. And just being pushed, you mean the one, I'm going to be the one that makes the purple one this time to get the, the highest tier of points oh really so
0: unlike Azul the tiles are now better or worse yes. yeah well it's if you finish like if you finish oh. one colour of it and you get a set amount of points so if you commit to purple because it's the most valuable then yeah. other players know but that other players
1: might be like uh, maybe I won't but what I ended up doing in our game which is kind of what frustrated me maybe when I played again is like, I went for a little bit of everything mm. which was terrible well I, <laughs> I, I played these it these awful half forward windows
0: I played it enough to realise that the way you build complete windows is by doing that it's this odd thing if you like you, you're you quite you have to be quite tactical of build a bit of this window a bit of this way a bit of this window because the only way you get bonuses is usually by like connecting bits so if you build like two parts this orange window and two parts this blue then you surround the gap between them and that gives you the bonus that gets you more that then you can, uh, can and you, can, you have a turn we can play it I was going to say it's behind you right yeah. can we wrap this podcast so we can go to the uh, pub yeah. and play as well? yeah no happily it's, it's good it's real good uh, um, but yeah, that's Azul, P- Summer Pavilion. Um, I kind of describe it at the end of the review as being a bit like when you play a, uh, a Pokemon game, and some people like to have them all and play them all. But I think for most people it's like, you know, they're all quite good. And like it's it's maybe you just find the one that you like, and you're like, this is my one. And I like Azul, I think it's good. But I think this might be my Azul. I think this is like- Oh, that's cool. This is I think this is the one where it's like, yeah, there's a bit more bite to this, a bit more crunch. I think it does the same things. And there's a lot more tactility to it. I think it's a simple thing but there's a lot more opportunities in this game for, like, grabbing handfuls of pieces or pouring them into things or moving them around. And Oh, you're getting me too yeah, excited. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I think it's real good. It surprised me. So that's Azul Summer Pavilion. I'm and that- uh, yeah, you can watch a review of it on shutupandsitdown.com. I think the review is incredibly stupid, just so you're aware. I it's, mean, it's real dumb. It's real dumb. That's kind of the uh, the opportunity you have when you review quite a simple game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, th- there's not many rules to it and it's really good. So it's just me being mad. But I think it, it's going to be quite enjoyable. So if you fancy a laugh, then go and have a look. Well, thank you very much, uh, you two. And thank you, person at, uh, indeterminate place for listening to the <laughs> shut up and sit down podcast a podcast location here about board games if you are eagerly waiting the next shut up and sit down podcast let me tell you we got a whole youtube channel that's full of stuff that's shut up and sit down on youtube and if you go to shut up and sit down.com we don't big this up enough but we do a weekly news roundup every mm. monday you can go and read ava and tom discussing the week's news uh, and mostly just having a, a load of fun recently, I yeah, think.
1: It's very silly.
0: Yeah. Uh, so do check that out if you like your news irreverent and opinionated and not always on time. And always on Mondays. And always mostly. on Mondays. Every Monday, sometimes. Sometimes. Thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.